Well, this Christmas, uh, Jelena and I purchased for uh, Libby, my two-year-old daughter, we got her um, a VeggieTales DVD collection called All the Shows. Uh, I grew up in the 90s, and we, we grew up watching VeggieTales. We loved VeggieTales. I don't know how many people here watch VeggieTales. Maybe if you're at home, you're raising your hand. It's good stuff. Um, so we've been watching through these old videos, and old, right? They're, they're made in the 90s, and um, this, not last week, the week before, we watched one about Madame Blueberry. Does anyone remember Madame Blueberry? Yeah. And what was it about Madame Blueberry? She's so blue, hoo, hoo, blue, hoo, hoo, blue, hoo, hoo, blue. She's so blue, she don't know what to do. And it's the sad story of this sad, poor Blueberry who's just deeply discontent, who's just full of sorrow, and her butlers, Bob and Larry, try to cheer her up, and they're unsuccessful. But what happens in this story during her laments while she's kind of crying out about how miserable her life is, there's a knock on the door. And this team of salesmen have come to Madame Blueberry's house in a tree and they begin to say that they are here from Stuff Mart. And Madame Blueberry, it looks like you could use some stuff. And so they, they sing this whole song, and I'm not going to sing any of it for you, but it's, it is quite entertaining, telling her about all the wondrous things she could have if she came to Stuff Mart. And suddenly we watch Madame Blueberry's eyes grow wide, and she realizes that hope to, to get away from her sadness, to get away from her despair, is just over the hill at this new store called Stuff Mart. Well, have you ever been faced with an invitation like that? <laughs> I don't know if you've had salesmen come to your doors or, or, or what, but someone coming to you and saying to you that, that we have something for you that's going to make your life so much better. You know, it doesn't have to be a salesman at the door anymore, does it? I can think back over this past week in my own life and whether it's advertisements I saw on television or, or on Facebook or social media, whether it was conversations I had with someone... There are many, many voices inviting me to experience the good life. So I might be looking online at something. I might be watching the news. I might be on social media. I might be talking to a therapist or a trusted counselor. I might be talking to a close friend or even a family member who would say to me something like this. If you only had this. If you only did this, if you only became this, then you will be happy. Then you will experience life to the full. Do you not want to be happy? Do you not want to be satisfied? Do you not want to wake up every morning and just be so excited for life? Well, of course we do. We're human. Well, we've been journeying through this series of the Sermon on the Mount that we have titled, Living the Life. And it's kind of in that same vein, isn't it? And our thesis for this sermon is that when we think about the life that we desire to have, the life that we believe God has called us to live, we believe that as we devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus, we actually move towards that abundant life that Jesus has for us. And we've been listening to this teaching week after week as Jesus has invited his disciples to consider their values. 
To consider their behaviors, to consider their character and their choices and the way in which they live their lives before God. And all of these messages have been confronting the disciples of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, they've been confronting me and they've been confronting you. Inviting us to God's idea of abundant life. Inviting us to Jesus' proclamation where he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And as we turn the corner this morning in Matthew chapter 7, we are left with this question. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the message of Jesus Jesus gets to this point in his sermon and he gives us an instruction that um, Aaron read for us. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so here Jesus is laying out for us this command He says, enter by the narrow gate. And there's a series of contrasts here, and I want to unpack each of them. There's four of them. And we'll unpack a bit more what um, what this invitation or this instruction from Jesus is. Well, first, Jesus points out that there is a wide and a narrow gate. This is, of course, an issue of accessibility. Um, And it's interesting here because Jesus is not telling us to go through the wide gate. He's telling us to go through the narrow gate. And this word narrow, of course, is implying that, it's in, it's, that it is uh, constricting, that it is difficult to get through. Not long ago, I was helping a friend move a couch out of their basement. And we we're like, yeah, we're just going to get it around this corner and up the stairs. And very quickly, we discover that for this couch, this passageway was narrow. <laughs> it was not easy to get the couch up the stairs and we had to back up and we're like do we have to take the feet off how are we going to get this thing up the stairs it is a narrow stairway the contrast to this of course is moving a couch through an opening that you don't even realize is there it's wide it's easy so jesus here is instructing us to commit to the less common the less attractive access point The narrow way? The narrow gate? Are you sure, Jesus? Now, in the context of the New Testament, we understand Jesus to be the gate. Later on, well, in the Gospel of John, Jesus identifies himself as the gate. And this is exactly what Quinn was talking about in his message last week. Jesus invites us to give him our trust. Where we we look at that narrow gate, we look around and we see, well, all these people are putting their trust in the other things and all these different things, but I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. It might not be popular, it might not be common, it might not be what everyone else is doing, but that's what Jesus has instructed me to do. The narrow gate. And is that it? Well, no. Jesus goes on. There are second contrasts, that there is an easy Or a hard way. An easy or a hard way. So not only is Jesus inviting us to a narrow gate, but he's also saying that we need to walk a hard way. 
Now this word way, of course, is a metaphor. And Jesus is implying, using metaphor in this. But this concept would have not been new in any way to his followers. The Old Testament talks extensively about this concept of a way. And if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, I think we have this passage on the screen. Um, Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 to 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So what's God saying to Adam here? He's saying there is a way that you're going to experience life. That way to life is to avoid eating fruit from this tree. Or there is another way. A way that leads to death. If you eat this fruit, you shall die. And this idea of choice is continually unpacked. We get into Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Um, This is God speaking to his people through Moses. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God and walking in his what? In his ways. How do you do that? By keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So here again we have this, this God using this metaphor of the way. God is saying there is a way I want you to live, but you're going to be tempted to go your own way. And if we are familiar with the Old Testament story, we understand that this is exactly what happens. Uh, at the end of the book of Joshua, we have these common, well-known verses where Joshua is speaking to the people of God and inviting them to choose God's way. Uh, we can put this slide up to Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served the religion beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going to walk the Lord's way. But then we get into the prophets and we see that that's not what happened. In Isaiah chapter 53 uh, verse 6, we read, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here in Isaiah, of course, we have a foreshadow of the Savior who's going to come and redeem humanity who have chosen their own way over God's. So Jesus brings up this theme again. And of course, as well in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, another common uh, New Testament text that Jesus said to them that I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is inviting us, he's instructing us, his disciples, to walk his way. What is that way? How can we describe that way? Well, Jesus says that it is hard. It is a hard way. What Jesus is saying here isn't very nice, is it? You know, it's like you listen to this great message, great sermon, Jesus. I love it. What do you want me to do? I want you to go through the narrow gate. But Jesus, that gate is really narrow. It's constricting. It's going to be difficult for me to go through that. What, are, what is everyone going to think of me? 
And not only that, I want you to walk a difficult way. A difficult way? Really? Is that really what you want, Jesus? That doesn't sound fun at all. Why? Well, the contrast continues. The third contrast Jesus uses is destruction and life as destinations. So the wide and easy way leads to life. Sorry, the the narrow and hard way leads to life. The narrow and hard way leads to life. And the idea of life, when we talk about it in the Bible, it's fundamentally concerned with us being in communion with God. God created us. He knows how you and I are to get the most out of life without blowing it. He knows how we are supposed to experience perfect joy, perfect peace. And life is summed up in this idea of us abiding with Christ. Living life His way. Living life in our intended purpose. Doing the things that God created us to do. Friends, there's no greater joy. And that's the life that Jesus is inviting us to. But the wide and the easy way, Jesus said, leads to destruction. Now this word destruction, is, it's all about lost purpose. Now there's this commercial I remember seeing years ago. I have no idea what the advertisement was actually for. But um, the, the image that they, they give is of an elderly man and his daughter. And they're doing dishes in a kitchen and they're preparing a meal together. So he's, you know, he's cutting carrots and celery and all this. And she's over there and, um, and she turns to him and says, Hey dad, have you liked that new iPad that we got you for Christmas? And uh, he looks at her and he says, yeah, it was, it's pretty good, I guess. And at that moment, the, the camera shows that he is cutting his carrots and his celery on top of the iPad. <laughs> he thought it was a cutting board, right? Um, and then the next shot is him picking it up off the counter, putting it in the dishwasher and closing the dishwasher door. We're all like, God, oh, the iPad. That iPad experienced destruction. Its purpose was not to be used as a cutting board. But that's what happened to it. And as that iPad sat in the dishwasher and was covered with water and soap, it probably couldn't help but think, oh man, I'm never going to be able to live out my purpose. If an iPad could think. And so Jesus is saying the narrow and the hard way, guys, that leads to life. The wide and the easy way that looks so attractive, it leads to destruction. It looks great, it looks good, but it's not what God has made you for. That's why he's inviting us to this journey. And then the last contrast is that there are many and few participants. Many and few participants. Jesus is highlighting for us that this narrow and hard way, of course, is not the popular route. Now this word find that we have here, this is not implying that, that the, the Jesus way is somehow hidden. It's not implying that, um, that the narrow and hard way is something that is unknown or undiscoverable by other people. Rather, what it's getting at here is, um, is that many do not find it because they are not looking for it. And just think about it, if you're living life on, on the, the wide and easy way, why would you even consider a way that per, you perceive to be difficult? Why would you want to go over there? 
Especially when we put this in the context of the, the previous verses where it talks about God wanting to give us good gifts. It's not at all that God is keeping people from finding and discovering his way. It's rather that people aren't interested in going there. But I think that adds to this idea that it's certainly not the popular route to go the narrow and hard way. So if we were to summarize this instruction that, that Jesus is giving to his disciples in that context, but also the instruction that he's giving to us, it is that disciples of Jesus are to go against the popular culture, enter the narrow gate, and walk the hard way, and by doing so, they will experience the life they were made for. Let me read this again. The summarize Jesus' instruction. I think we have this uh, for the screen as well. Uh, Disciples of Jesus are to go against the popular culture, to enter the narrow gate, and to walk the hard way, and by doing so, they will experience the life they were made for. What's interesting about this passage, as well as the metaphor of way that is used throughout Scripture, is that it seems that to take the majority of our choices, the majority of our decisions, and reduce them to one of two alternatives. That we would either choose God's way and submit to God's will, or to choose our own way and submit and, and, and live by our own will, rejecting God's. So how do you and I respond to Jesus' instruction? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, I think this should make us feel a little unsettled. (laughs) When Jesus is saying that we need to walk the narrow and hard way to find life, that should make us feel a little uncomfortable. We need to allow ourselves to feel that way. But as Jesus goes on, we think about the the context of what he's saying. Do you want life or do you want destruction? Do you want to live your life the way that Jesus wired you for? Or do you want to live your life your own way and abandon the purpose that God has given you? Well, the reaction is quite obvious, isn't it? I want life. I want life. So how do we respond? We choose the narrow gate and we commit to walk the hard way. Friends, again, as as Quinn talked about last week, this is so much about trust. We come to acknowledge the person of Jesus and, and we come to agree with him and we say that we want to follow him. I want to follow Jesus. I don't have this in my notes, but in John chapter 6, um, there's this amazing moment that we have with the disciples where, where Jesus is teaching the people and he's saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me, right? And again, this is a teaching that should make us feel unsettled to the core. And it's interesting because after Jesus teaches this, a bunch of people leave. They're like, this guy is crazy. Drink his blood, eat his flesh. What in the world is he talking about? And they walk away from Jesus. But Jesus turns to his 12 disciples. He says, do you want to go away as well? Do you guys want to leave too? And Peter answers Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Peter's saying, he's like, I don't get what you're saying. (laughs) I think you sound crazy too. (laughs) But I believe you're the Messiah. I believe that you are worthy of my trust. So I'm going to follow you. So he enters, by doing that, he enters the narrow gate. So we choose to trust Jesus. We choose to enter that narrow gate. This sounds easy, doesn't it, right? Is that all I got to do? Go through the narrow gate? Walk the hard way? (laughs) Is it easy? I don't know. But Jesus goes on to give us a warning. If we keep going in our text this morning, verse 15, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, if Jesus is inviting us to a narrow gate and a hard way, he goes on now to highlight this reality that there are other invitations. There are other ways. There are other gates. And I, friends, I believe that you and I are daily hearing invitations to the wide door and the easy way. You and I are daily hearing invitations to walk away other than the way of Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to be aware. And this word to, to be aware is, is just jam-packed full of, of this idea of being alert, being carefully considering what's going on. It calls us to diligence. It calls us to discernment. Why? Well, Jesus points out there's false prophets. False prophets. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the word prophet? Uh, you know, I, I think that... Um, we can think maybe about the Old Testament prophets. We can think about, you know, these old sages with long hair and long beards who sit in a cave and, and give us wisdom or whatever. Uh, but very simply, a prophet is one who speaks for God and interprets his will. A prophet is one who speaks for God and interprets his will. So some people would even look at what I'm doing right now to be of pro- the prophetic nature. That as I get up here and teach God's word to you, I'm taking the role of a prophet. Telling you God's will. uh, Speaking to you about God's will. And so I think the word prophet has maybe a bit of a broader understanding in how we um, instinctively think about it. Um, And that's important for our context. And I'll I'll unpack that in, in a second. So first Jesus says that there are false prophets who are at work in the church. There's false prophets who are at work in the church. And so these are the types of people, and Jesus is describing them as ravenous wolves who might get up and invite you to a way. They'll call it the Jesus way. They'll decorate it like the Jesus way. But really, it is not the Jesus way. It's an invitation to a type of discipleship that is inconsistent with the teaching and the message of Jesus. So for you and I in the church, it is incredibly important that we, we discern the things that we're hearing. We discern the things that we are learning because there are people who are trying to to take advantage of us. There are people who are trying to lead us to a a different way. 
And trust me, the irony is not lost on me as I teach you this morning from from the Gospel of Matthew. um, That even my words are words that you should think about and discern. And make sure that what I'm saying to you is true. We need to be like Bereans. Uh, What does that phrase mean? Maybe you've heard someone say that before. Um, Acts chapter 17, Paul uh, goes to Berea and he starts preaching and teaching the Bereans. And we read that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so this accountability falls on you, it falls on me. As we read various books about Christianity, as we listen to different pastors, as we listen to different speakers, we need to be discerning examining the scriptures to make sure that what we're hearing is true. So there's false prophets in the church. Secondly, though, I think that we can rightly say that there are false prophets in our culture. Now, what is a prophet? Someone who speaks for God and interprets his will. How do we understand God? Well, if God's the one who's created us, who knows what's best for us, people are eager to stand in the place of God and tell you, what you were made for, and what's best for you. Going back to Madame Blueberry, when those salesmen showed up at her door, they were almost taking the role of a prophet and saying, Madame Blueberry, you are unhappy because you do not have the right stuff. And if you do what we tell you to do, we're going to interpret for you what you need. If you follow the way we're telling you to follow, then you will be happy. And these false prophets are at work all throughout our culture. They're inviting us to consumerism, telling us that we need to have this and that thing. They're inviting us to pleasure, telling us that if we only have the certain right types of experiences, then we will be happy. They're inviting us to power and decorating achievement and influence in this light that if if you can only dominate, if you can only control and be successful, then you will be happy. They come to us and tell us that if we are only, if we can only get to a point where we are well loved and liked by other people, then we will be happy. And these messages are coming to us constantly, distracting us from the narrow door, the hard way, and the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And Jesus highlights for us that these people are hard to detect. Why are they hard to detect? He says that they're wolves dressed up like sheep. Friends, we have to be so, so careful. Living in a day of, of mass marketing, we're watching, you know, whether you're watching a television show or scrolling social media, you are exposing yourself to so many different versions of the good life. And the way that these things are designed is it's, it's seeking your attention. It's trying to grab at something at the core of your being that makes you feel discontent with who you are, discontent with who Jesus is, and want to go after the other thing that they are inviting you to. So Jesus calls us to, identi- to examine the fruit. Jesus calls us to examine the fruit. They're identifiable by their fruit. Now I have to come back to Madame Blueberry. Do you guys remember how the story goes on? The little blueberry hops down the road to Stuff Mart. And she spends the whole day shopping, filling one cart after another with stuff. And she's happy. And all of these carts are going out the door of Stuff Mart and they're going down to her house. 
And there's this moment where she's having lunch. And there's this little boy who's in. And he sees a train. It's Junior the asparagus, right? Junior sees a train. And he says, Dad, I want the train. And his dad says, you know, Junior, it's a little expensive. Maybe we'll just get this ball instead. And Junior looks at his dad and, and is happy, right? He's like, thanks for the ball. And he breaks out into spontaneous prayer and praise, right? That's how we should all react to those moments, right? But Madame Blueberry's watching this unfold and she's like, the little boy didn't get what he wants. Why is he not sad? Why is he not discouraged? And she comes to discover that he has a happy heart. Junior had a happy heart. And so the salesmen come back to her and say, are you ready to keep shopping? And Madame Blueberry says, yes, but can you tell me where are the happy hearts? Where are the happy hearts? You have all of this stuff. Where can I find a happy heart? And the associates look at each other and say, we don't have happy hearts. And in that moment, Madame Blueberry sees consumerism for what it is. And she realizes it is not truly going to make her happy. A popular author and speaker of our day and age is Brené Brown. I don't agree with everything she says, but she has a lot of great things to, to say in her research. But she comments on this whole idea of fruit by saying that we are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and over-medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. So you have people out there who are saying, this is the way you should live. This is the way that you should live. You will be happy. What is the fruit? People are over-medicated. They are overweight. People are addicted to different substances. All these different things. And they're all chasing the same weird form of happiness, running in their own ways, ignoring the invitation of Jesus. Where Jesus stands against all of these things, this is why he is not the popular way. The good news of Jesus Christ pushes back against consumerism. It pushes back against hedonism or pleasure. It pushes back against power, performance. The fruit of Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that not what we want? Yet we run around looking for all these things in the wrong places. Friends, we need to realize that if we're not walking the Jesus way, if we're not going through that narrow gate and living his way, we are indeed walking away and entering a door. It's not a matter of if we will be formed but to what we are being formed. It's not a matter of if we are going to worship, but rather who or what we are worshiping. We cannot escape the reality of this. And Jesus stands as a prophet among his disciples, saying to them, I have life abundant for you. And we listen eagerly. We say, Jesus, I want what you have for me. How do I get it? Well, it's a narrow door. It's a hard way. But it leads to life. It leads to life. The other thing I want us to consider when we look at this passage is this the need for us to consider our own fruit. 
We've talked about the fruit of the false prophets, but what, what fruit is coming out of your life? Does the fruit of your life reveal that you have entered the narrow gate and are walking the hard way? In Christianity, I think it's so easy for us to get excited about the gate. You know, Jesus is the gate. But we so quickly forget that he's invited us to a way. And when we do that, the gate, we, we see the gate and we're like, well, that's like, yeah, Jesus, I, I'm spiritual, I'm religious, I, I'm a Christian, I, I go to church once a week, sometimes I read my Bible, I try to pray every once in a while. If that's your posture towards Christianity, you, maybe you found the gate, but I don't think you're walking the way. To walk the way of Jesus is to say that I've given him absolutely everything. I live my life fully before him. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I, I read God's word. But, but Jesus is my, my first. He is my everything. I love him. And the fruit of your life is, is exactly that fruit of the spirit we were talking about. The love, the joy, the peace. It can't help but well up inside of us when we have committed and devoted our lives to the way of Jesus And I think there's this reality too that we need to recognize. This isn't, I don't say all this to, to sound judgmental or rude. There's the reality for us that uh, even in Jesus' own illustration, every harvest of fruit will produce some bad apples, won't it? We had an apple tree in, in Three Hills when we were there studying at Bible school. And there was so many of those apples kind of rotted right there. They weren't good. But in general, the fruit that came from this tree was good. So as Christians, are are we going to misstep? Are we going to stumble? Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But in general, the fruit that's coming off of us should be good. I just want to bring us to a close this morning um, with some application questions. The first is, do you need to take more seriously your discipleship of Jesus? And do you need to return to or come for the first time to the way of Jesus? When we consider all that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, it's easy to just look at it and say, that's so good. But friends, if we don't commit our lives to the teaching of Jesus, maybe we've found the gate. But perhaps we haven't started walking the way. Secondly, have you been tempted to reduce Christianity to the gate while forgetting the way? I see this in my own life all the time. These these sins, these these things in me that well up where I want to reject the way of Jesus and just do my own thing. And thinking that it's okay. But friends, Jesus wants all of us. He wants all of us. Thirdly, what false prophets or alternative ways have you allowed to shape your thinking? How would Jesus' message counter what the false alternatives are teaching? This is a really good question for us to consider. When you think about the things that you feel drawn to, the things that you want to give yourselves to, when you consider alternate ways, ask the question, well, How does this compare to the Jesus way? 
What does Jesus have to say about this particular thing? And allow your thinking around whatever it is to be shaped by Jesus, not by some other way. And then finally, when you examine the fruit of your own life, what way does it show you to be walking? So as you can see, all these reflections just come out of our text this morning. I just want to encourage you to maybe take some time with those this week. Uh, They were part of um, Norb's email this morning that went out. If you're looking for those, if you didn't get a chance to write them down. uh, So those are available. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Um, But friends, Jesus is calling his disciples to something that is difficult. This isn't a teaching that we're like, yeah, I get to go the hard way. That's awesome. No. It makes us uncomfortable, and rightfully so. But we need to understand and believe that it is an invitation to something so, so wonderful. Something so wonderful. Let's pray together. Father God, I I thank you for your words. And Jesus, through all that teaching, you don't just leave us with it and walk away, but You call us to apply it to our lives. To consider you as the narrow door. And to walk maybe a difficult way. So Lord, we pray just by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to walk the way that you've called us to. Lord, I pray by your Spirit you'd give us wisdom and discernment to see the areas in our lives where we are tempted to go a different way an alternative way. Lord, keep us from being deceived. May we know you for who you truly are and walk with you authentically. And Lord, may we experience that abundant life that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.